Okay, okay, we're going to get to the podcast in just one minute. But imagine I gave you the opportunity to invest in Microsoft, in Apple, in Tesla at its infancy. And now you made all this profit and it would be unbelievable. You'd be so thankful and so grateful. I believe that that day is today for Torch. Because for the next 36 hours, every donation you contribute at givetorch.net is doubled by our generous matchers, and you can come in at the ground floor. Yes, last year, over 1 million people enjoyed our podcasts. You as well, I hope. And I believe we can get to 10 million this year, but we need your help. It's only one day a year that we ask. We need your contribution. We need your partnership. We love your partnership and your friendship. Please contribute at givetorch.net, givetorch.net. Every dollar is matched. I apologize for taking your time. Thank you so much in advance for your support. Enjoy this episode. Okay, so I want to share with you a few stories as to why Musser is so important and what the, what the importance, what the special characteristics that caused, or actually the flaws that caused Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, the founder of the Musser movement, to really get started with, with uh, these teachings. So it was the high holidays, and as we can imagine in many synagogues, it's over, overfilled, it's, it's standing room only. And Rabbi Saul Salanter, uh, his congregation was no different. He was an a inspirational spiritual leader, and uh, he, needed, uh, he, he needed more, more machzor and more prayer books that people can uh, can follow along and he didn't have enough for everyone so he looked on with someone else he gave away his to someone else and he looked on with with the person sitting next to him and uh, the other person eventually told him you know would you stop hogging my sitter <laughs> would you would you just stop it right and then he realized that there is something about character that needs to be worked on and that was really the impetus that Rabbi Yisrael felt that it was, it was really critical and important for there to be a study that people can get involved with that can help them have full control of themselves. And to really, you know, how many times are we in a situation where, where we uh, are ready to get angry and we say, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to hold it. I'm going to hold it together, right? That's a, that's a Musser experience right there, right? And if, God forbid, we blow up instead of holding it in and hold not the idea is not holding it in and and just you know locking it in inside us the idea is not allowing ourselves to get to a point where we can be angry that's really what we're trying to do we're trying to get to a situation in most cases when we talk about any of the traits and we gave out uh, we we uh, i have probably should make photocopies for everyone so god willing next week i'll have photocopies if not next week, then the next time we meet, the beginning of November, uh, I'll have it. But Rabbi, Rabbi uh, Zelik Pliskin in his book called Begin Again Now has a list of, I believe, 360 negative traits and 270 positive traits. I mean, we're, we're complicated constructs of, of, of humanity. We have many, many different types of traits. And these traits all have the ability to change our lives and the lives of the people around us, right? It can bring people closer or it can 
bring people apart or separate people. And the better one's traits are, the more likable they are, the more, it, more pleasant it is for them to be around other people, for other people to be around them. So uh, anybody here like someone who gets angry? No, right? No, we don't like someone. It's not an attractive feature of a person to be angry. And yet we all know people who get angry. And it's not exactly what we like about them. We might like them, uh, might like the other 90% of them, but that 10% when they're angry, it's ugly. We don't want to be there, right? How does a person remove that anger? Now, we all have deficiencies in our traits. As we mentioned previously, we all have positive traits. We all have negative traits. And we're all unique in the composition of those positive and negative traits and how they play with one another is always uniquely different because we have different backgrounds, we have different life experiences, we have different um, different uh, ways in which we uh, respond to things. You know, in certain places, when you give someone a thumbs up, it's like, thank you. In other places, that might not mean a thank you, right? So how do you, you know, they might feel it's an insult, it's something, you know, very basic things. Different cultures have different ways they understand things and the, w the way they express things. So we ha we're, we're going to talk a lot about this to understand the differences of human beings. Okay. Before we do that, I want to share a few more, a few more uh, ideas. Uh, my, my grandfather, it was an incredible privilege that I had to sit and have dinner with him. I had dinner with him, not in a restaurant, in his house. And he would use only one hand to eat. Not because he couldn't use a second hand. He could use it. But he was in absolute perfect control of every thought, every movement of his life. Obviously, this is he wasn't born like that. But he, after working on himself, never got angry if he didn't need to. Never did anything. Never, never was jealous. Never, you understand what, what it means to be in perfect control of your life. Also in your movements. Where if he did not need to use a limb of his body, he didn't use it. How many times do, it's an amazing thing. My grandfather would walk home from Shul, my grandfather was already in his late 80s, and he wouldn't hold on to the banister on the staircase because he didn't need to. Right? Now most of us, we don't even think about it. It's like, it would make a difference, right? It makes a difference. It makes a huge difference. I'll tell you why. Because... Um, we, c we, we are in a culture that it's okay to ask people for favors. It's okay to not be self-sufficient. Right? Like, I can say, can, you know, can you pass that over here? Can you pass that? It's, it's a normal thing in our culture. You know, pass the salt, right? pass the soda. Right? Wh what whatever we need, we can w it's, it's, it's a common thing. But if we go to the, if we go back a little bit in history to the creation of Adam and Eve, the creation of heaven and earth, it says that God created the world. He uses two different terminologies of God's name. God has many different names. He uses two different terminologies. One terminology is a terminology of judgment, of responsibility, and one is the terminology of kindness. And the commentaries all ask, wh why is there a change of that terminology? 
God, it says, He created Bereshit bara Elohim et Hashamayim Elohim et Hashamayim v'Taretz. Bereshit bara Elohim. What's Elohim? That's the terminology of judgment. And then a little bit further down, it says, and God, which is Hashem, right? Whatever, whatever goes, you know, whatever, how the, whatever the verse continues. So it starts with Elohim and changes over to a different terminology, different name of Hashem. So our sages ask this: Why, why the, why the change? So commentaries explain because God really wanted the world to be controlled by judgment, meaning absolute responsibility, accountability. But God recognized that the world can't survive by absolute accountability, so God blended in kindness. Now, what's the difference between accountability and kindness? Accountability is you get what you get. You get what you deserve. What's kindness? Well, you don't deserve it, but we'll give it to you anyway. That's what kindness is. So, if you have a world, uh, I'll give you an example. Someone steals. What should be the punishment? Chop off their hand, right? That way they don't steal anymore. Right? Well, that's absolute judgment. What's kindness? Well, it was your first offense. So we'll let you go, but it's a, be careful. Right? It's a warning. Right? You'll pay back, but you're not going to be second offense. Right? Now we're going to deal with it more harshly. But still, we, especially in the United States, we deal with a tremendous hand of kindness. Tremendous kindness. In fact, many of our sages, our modern-day sages, call America the government of kindness. Look how much kindness we do all around us. Right? Someone doesn't have a job, we'll help them. We'll give them medicine, medicine. We'll give them transportation. We'll give them food. We'll give them all of the necessities. Every, even the luxuries, not only the necessities, we'll give them the luxuries. We'll give them air-conditioned buses. Right? And we'll give them more than just the basics of bread and, bread and water. Right? They can buy meat, and they can buy candies, and they can, it's, it's, it's really, it really is. Now, whether or not it's right or wrong, that you can have in political science a different room over here. I'm sure someone will discuss what, you know, whether or not God is a Democrat or a Republican. Right? That we can have in a, in a, different, a different time. But th that's not the discussion. But that's the difference between judgment. Judgment is you get what you get, you get a job, and we're not going to give you a free handout. Now, if someone's destitute, poor, there's a mitzvah in the Torah, we give them, we give them charity. Right? There's a mitzvah to help those who are, who are less fortunate. There's no question. It's an obligation of the Torah to support someone like that. But there's a big difference between just doing an act of kindness and being total kindness where we turn a blind eye. You know, you don't have to ever find a job. You don't have to ever... Um, you know, take responsibility for yourself. So, going back to that story, there is a certain quality in those who are closer to perfection in that there is absolute accountability that they obligate themselves. They obligate themselves to absolute responsibility. Right? Is this clear? The idea is clear? Right? And that's the reason my grandfather didn't hold the banister. He doesn't need to. Right? I'm going to be self-sufficient. I'm not going to rely on anybody else's assistance, not even the banister. Now, that's, that's just a, a, an interesting side note. But not only that, my grandfather wouldn't help me. I'd come Friday afternoon before Shabbos. My grandfather would be extending the table 
My grandfather's in his late 80s, and he'd be stretching the table by himself. And I'd say, Saba, l- let me help you. And he'd go, no, 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 no. Th- this is my, I got it, right? This is the, don't, don't have mercy on me. And don't, don't make it easier for me, right? Let me do my work. Let me, let me do it, right? Now, okay, there's another aspect of it of letting other people do acts of kindness for you. That's okay. That's, that's at a later, a later stage we can talk about that. But the overall idea. So now, having absolute control. Imagine you eating your entire meal. You don't move your hand one time. You're only using, if you're a righty, you use your right hand to eat because you don't need to. Right? Absolute control. Imagine, would such a person get angry because someone says something that's offensive to them? They're in full control. So the idea of having full control, I'll give you another example. My grandfather, before we went to yeshiva, um, at the end of a, a break, a summer break or a uh, Pesach break, so he would always tell us, five times a day, try to overcome your impulse, your instinct. How many times are we sitting by our desk and we're like, okay, let me just go get some coffee? Right? Okay, we're not saying not to get coffee. Wait one minute and then go get the coffee. Today it's even easier. We're on our phones, right? We want to just check our, our, our messages. We want to check uh, Facebook. We want to check our WhatsApp status or whatever. You know, whatever it is. You know what? I'm just going to wait a minute. I'll put my phone back down. I'll wait one minute. You know why? Just because I'm in control. That's why. Uh, okay, so wha- what's the game, Rabbi? It's very simple because the more we're able to get control over non vital, not important, not essential areas of our lives, the more we'll be able to have control when something unexpected comes up. Because we're learning that we respond when we need to respond. We respond when it's, when it's called upon us to. Okay, so let me, I'll give you another example. There was a great student of Kelm, right, where they, were, they, they trained their students in the yeshiva of Kelm to in, in the ways of Musar, but in a very, very strong way. And there was a, there was a student who was waiting at a, at a bus, st- at a train stop, and he turned his head to see when the train is coming. And then he turned back and he says, Oi, if I was still in Kelm, they would give it to me over the head for this. Why? Is it going to change anything if you, if you look, look over there? Nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to change. So why are you looking? Right? If someone walks into a room, everyone turns their head. The person behind us says Kaddish, right? We turn around. What? You, you know exactly who it is, but we, when we're, our mind is not occupied and we're just impulsive, so our reactions when we get angry, when we're jealous, when someone says something to us, is also impulsive. But the more we're able to gain control of our reactions the more we'll be in control when things that are unexpected come our way. So when says some, someone says something and you want to just bite back at them or bark back at them, you know what? I'm in control. You know why? Because it started with my water when I was sitting by my desk. It, it continued that I'm not going to, you know what? I don't need to look at my phone now. I can look at it in 10 minutes. You know, I started doing this. And by the way, many CEOs today stopped having smartphones. I actually bought two smartphones in the last month and they both didn't work. <laughs> I was like, what's the message from God? <laughs> right? 
<laughs> both of them didn't work right. Uh, brand new ones out of the box. They both didn't work. So uh, I'll get to it. But um, I, I actually, I went to the store and they didn't have it in stock. And I went to, it's like I, I keep on having a God really, you know why? I was thinking to myself, you see, it must be such a life-changing experience that the Yetzirah really does want me to do it. Because this is such an easy distraction. He has it so easy on us. He only it's one ping away of derailing us. It's one ping away. Right? And we're, we're totally in a different world. It, it really is an amazing thing that this little device has more technology in it than the space shuttle did in 1969 that went to the moon. This little device has more technology in it we can look from here, we can see in China, we can see anywhere in the world, right? Most of these things are, are, are waterproof and dustproof and have unbelievable, uh, uh, you know, abilities, unbelievable abilities. It's funny because I use my computer significantly less because of this device. I can just respond right here. I can, you know, look at spreadsheets. I can, you know, draft emails. It's unbelievable. We'll talk about that another time. We'll talk about how to, how to not, be in not be controlled. We mentioned this previously, I think it was in the last class, how not to be controlled by our materialism. That we should be in control of it, not it in control of us. We can get to it another time. We'll, 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 we'll discuss it more. But my, my grandfather, the following story, I heard from one of my grandfather's students. My grandfather was teaching a class for his most prominent students and talking about my grandfather passed away he was 92 years old and he had pro several thousand students all of whom or most of whom have become mega educators i'm talking about educators of schools educators of uh, rabbis of synagogues like mega educators authors if most books that talk about Jewish education today quote my grandfather as being a, a, a you know, the, it's a, he was a really special man. In any event, see, he gave a special weekly class to his most prominent students. One of the students, the one I heard this for the story from, was late. He got stuck in traffic, and he was, he was on a bus, right? So he's like, things happen, and he, he, he took the extra time to be there on time, and Whatever happened, he got there late. And he's running, 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 running off the bus. And he's dashing into the building of, the, of where the class is being held, pushes the door open, and the door slams right into my grandfather. I mean, like, he said, he's a big guy. He said, I'm telling you, it was like a body slam. And my grandfather, he said, didn't flinch. Didn't even look who it was. Didn't look who it was. Full 100% control of every single aspect. His response, this student told me, he learned more from that experience than all of his lectures. This is a person who's in total control. That there isn't anything that phases you. There's nothing that, that throws you off guard. There's nothing that... that you're just, you're not ready for. I remember I had a rabbi who told me, you know, anybody here spend time in Israel 
for like anybody here negotiate with a cab driver in Israel, right? It, it for an American, it absolutely makes you crazy, like literally crazy, okay? Because they'll tell you twenty shekel, and when you get there, they'll say fifty shekel, and they'll say there was traffic, and you're like, excuse me, you told me twenty shekel, I'm like no no no, it's fifty shekel, and you got like and people become irate, and people get like livid, right? You told me twenty, not no, no, no. This is this is a fifty, fifty. I, I could have put on the the, the the meter in it, and people go crazy. Now, if you think about it, for an American, an extra ten, twenty, thirty shekels, like what? It's six bucks. It's like it's not a big deal. It's not it's not gonna put us under. But it's the principle. It's like you you lied to me. You cheated me. You you right. Is it worth getting angry for $6? So my rabbi would always say, he says, before you get into a cab, prepare yourself. How much are you willing to pay not to get angry? Right? And that's the worthwhile price to pay. And then you, it comes out to be 40 instead of 50. You know, and I saved 10 shekel. It's like, it's like it's a whole different perspective. Right? But you have to be prepared. He said the problem and the reason why people become so irritated is because they don't prepare themselves for what could happen. How many times in a relationship does someone say something for the thousandth time and it irritates you again for the thousandth time? You know what that means? That means we're not preparing ourselves for that same response to not irritate us. Right? It's, 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 it can happen with our children. It can happen with our spouse. It can happen with our parents. And it can even happen with ourselves. Right, one of the great tools that our Muslim masters uh, teach us is to have a daily evaluation of our experiences. So imagine this, right? You wake up this morning. Whether you have children at home, whether you have parents staying at your home, whether you have a spouse at home, right? All the interactions that happened. Was it good morning, sweetheart, or was it? Good morning. Thank you for waking me up. I really appreciate it. Thank you. You couldn't let me sleep for another hour? Right, right. Th there are different ways that you can wake up. Okay, so imagine the end of your day, you take an accounting of your entire day, your entire experience, and you say, you know something? I could have been kinder in the morning. I could have been nicer. I could have been friendlier. I could have let that car go in front of me. You know what? I was at Starbucks. I didn't have to be such an idiot to the person on the online. I, I could have been nicer. I, I didn't have to cut the line, make believe like I don't really realize that there's a line there. You know, it's like, you know, those people they're like just like they, they start schmoozing with someone on the line so that they can just like sneak in. Right. I, maybe I shouldn't have done that. So. This evaluation, what happens is, is that it gives you an opportunity so that the next time it happens, you can change the course of action. You prepare yourself because going through that mental exercise will give you the tools you need so that next time that experience happens, you can react differently. And it's, it's amazing because I used to be a very, very extremely aggressive driver. I used to be a really aggressive driver. And then in, in, in the process of teaching these classes, 
I realized it, it probably wasn't a good thing. It probably wasn't one of the better character traits to have. So I started forcing myself to drive with different patterns of driving. I used to first it started I had to stay to a certain speed. Then I forced myself to drive on the right lane and there's nothing more irritating for a New York driver to drive on the right lane, okay? Especially in Houston. <laughs> there's nothing, especially you know when they have those those New York lanes I call them when it becomes three and then goes back to two. I call it that's all for all the New Yorkers to pile up in that lane and then cut in front, right? That's the New York lane. And I stayed on the right lane. It, it, it's an amazing thing because my father was here. I, I think I mentioned this. My father was here a few weeks ago. And, you know, it was, it was regular, ordinary driving. There was a car trying to, to, to pull in. I was like, I stopped with the car in. My father, like, looked at me. He's like, I would never let someone go in front of me. He's like, and I, I realized a little bit where my, where my driving habits came from. But either way, we can, we can really change those things if we just stop for a second and evaluate what we're doing. But the problem we have today is that we are so incredibly busy. We're busy with everything. If we don't have our radios on in our car or our satellite radios on in our car, we have our phones ringing, we have our, our messages dinging, and we get into the house and we have the television on or the radio on, we have this on and that on. It, it is so distracting. We don't have a saying then. If we're not doing all that, we have our tablets and we have our computers and we have, you know, we don't have a second to just stop and just think. And part of what we need to do I I really to, to succeed with this Musr process is to even find five minutes a day or a night. Five minutes, just five. Say, let's say it's 10 o'clock to 10.05 at night or whatever your bedtime is, you know, before you go to sleep, you know, you before you're going to go brush your teeth, when you're not doing anything else, you turn everything down. And now just start thinking about your day. You know what? When I was at Costco pushing my cart, I could have let someone, I could have been nicer to someone, let them, please go, go right ahead, right? I could have, you know, you're I've had this numerous times since, um, but, you know, I get those water, those water, uh, those uh, 40, 40 cases, 40 bottles of water, and right? And then you just put them in your cart and go. And I stopped doing that. I started looking around, and I see these people, some of who are of age, and like they, they can hardly move it. So I, so I, I became, there was a time, it was the max I had was five different carts that I was loading up with water, right, helping people out. And it was for me, wh what, what, is, what is the big deal? It's not a big deal, but it's to stop and, and say, you know something? I want to be kind. I want to help people out. I don't want to be that guy who's always rushing and, and, and doesn't have time for anyone and doesn't even pay attention, doesn't notice. You know what? I'll look around. Maybe someone else needs some help here. Right? It's not a, it's not, it takes literally 30 seconds. Everyone has an extra 30 seconds. Right? But the idea here is that the goal of Musr is number one, to have control of yourself, of your own actions, reactions, impulses. But the second thing is to go beyond yourself, to not be fully self absorbed. And the, the culture we're in today is a self absorbed cu culture. We are living in a world that all people think about is themselves. I, and you think about it from the way our teenagers, and I have several of them in my own house, right? How they take their own selfies, right? Like this, all the diff, what's their angle, and what's their, right? What's, what, right? And it's all about wanting, wanting 
to present themselves. Everything is about the me. It's the iPhone, the iLife, the iPhoto, the iPhone, right? The iPad. It's all. It, it's not coincidence that that's the culture we're living in. It's the I. It's the focused on the I. And it's a problem because it's not affording us. It's not giving us the opportunity sometimes to think beyond ourselves. It's not only about the I. And this process of Musser really is key to helping us get there. It really is key. Any questions so far? Any questions? No questions. All right. So I want to share with you an interesting idea. I think I may have mentioned this. I'm just I'm looking at my notes here. Um, you'll cut here, right? Yeah, please. Oh, we mentioned this, so I'm 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 just gonna quickly go over this again, because um, there are some new faces here. So I'm just gonna quickly, you know, Jacob when he gave his tribes, the, his children, the blessings. So two of the children seemingly don't get a blessing; they get lambasted by their father. Right? He is klechamus mechorosehem. You guys are are you use arms to fight and they he's referring to the story with Dina when she was abducted by Shechem right and they 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 raped her and they said they came back to the children of, J- of Jacob and they said you know why don't we just like become family you know we'll we'll do whatever you want to do our boys can marry your girls your boys can marry our girls and you know kumbaya and everything will, everything will just be great and Simeon and Levi Levi they say great that's a deal but you know what we're, we're Jews you have to circumcise and they tell them that all the men in Shechem should, should circumcise they say no problem and on the third day when it's the most painful and it's the most limiting day they go and they destroy the entire city they kill everyone and Jacob doesn't like that Jacob doesn't like it at all and Jacob really beats them up on it now we can get into the whole justification of why they did it why they did it in that way, and why Jacob was upset about them. If you notice the words in the verse, Jacob did not reprimand them for killing them. Jacob reprimanded them for using trickery. Jacob was a man of honesty, of truth, and the trickery is what bothered him, because that's not truthful. And he, that was his problem. You see, you, see, you want to kill him? Kill him. Right? They, 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 they defiled your sister? Fine. You want to take revenge? You can do that. But don't use trickery. That's not a tool that we use as Jews. And that's what he beats them up on. But either way, you wonder, he's giving blessings to all of the brothers. And to these two brothers, he just pounds them. Where's the blessing in that? So my grandfather brings sources from the, comment from, from the sages that the greatest blessing you can give someone is point out their flaws. And in this is brought down by King Solomon time and again in Proverbs, where a wise person will thank a person who criticizes them, even if it's not done lovingly, even if it's not done with the right intentions, because to bring you a, a perspective about yourself, to find a blind spot that you don't notice is, is, is a gift that... that is very precious. That's not always pleasant. No one likes to think about themselves that they're deficient in any specific area. You know you have a really bad temper. Me? 
How dare you? How dare you say that? Right? <laughs> the temper goes again. Right? You see, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Right? No, I'm not angry. <laughs> so we have ways to justify to ourselves. But when someone really cares about us and loves us, then, and even if they don't love us so much, but they, it says that a wise person will accept from everyone criticism. Why? Because it's free self-help. You want to know what you need to fix? Ask someone else. Now, we're not here to beat ourselves up. And the, po- the point of Musr is not to, to recognize how much flaws we have and how much uh, negative traits we have. But on the contrary, it's just the opposite. Where we are trying to point out the positive traits that we have. How, how great we are. And many times it's very difficult for us to really acknowledge because we like, you know, it's a little arrogant for me to notice that, you know, about myself that I'm good in any specific area. Right? It's it's not exactly the most humble no, it it's 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 not right, we asked my grandfather, would it be arrogance if we, you know, when we do this evaluation of ourselves to identify, you know, I'm I'm actually good at this trait. He said, You kidding? Arrogant? You're obligated. You're obligated. You must know what your qualities are. You must know what your virtues are and be able to identify them. You know, this is one of my qualities. I just want to bring it to perfection. You don't have to go announce it. Probably not a good idea to announce it. But to know it for yourself and to, to have it on a sheet just like, like I do. I have a, a, a chart of, of my character traits. I'll, I'll show it to you just very briefly um, because I don't want you to see it. But, um, but this, is, this is the top ones are my positive traits, the bottom one are my negative traits. Now, um, the purpose of it is for me to look at it and say, you know what? If I, God gave me these positive traits, let me use them and perfect them. And if God gave me negative traits, let me identify them and not be blind to them. Right? If, someone know, if you know someone has a, a bad left turn when they drive, shouldn't you point that out to them so that they should be more careful when they make that left turn? Right? It's, it would be important. So that, you know, having a negative trait, a person who's lazy, a person who's, who's, uh, who's uh, very judgmental of other people, right? What, whatever it is, you pick any, someone who has anger, someone who's arrogant, any of these negative traits, if a person doesn't know that they're there, right? It's like someone walking around with, a, with a, an infectious disease and doesn't know it, right? It, it's, it, it spreads, and it gets worse. You have to treat it. And that's what we're trying to do through the process of Musa. But the first step is knowing our qualities. And I, I gave out the, um, the, the, uh, the meter worksheet, the get to know yourself worksheet. If anyone does not have it, you can email me at awolbe, awolbe, at torchweb.org. And I'll happily send it to you in a PDF. I have it all ready to go. So uh, just let me know and I'll, I'll send it to you. But identifying our true, our true traits is what we're trying to, our true self is what we're trying to accomplish. Uh, I mentioned a, n- a different story about uh, Rabbi Sol Salanter. Rabbi Sol Salanter wo- once woke up in the middle of the night and um, he really needed a cigarette. And the only place to get a cigarette was the, a shop that was open on the other side of town. And you have to walk across town to get that cigarette. So he was in a big dilemma. If he walks all the way to all across town in the middle of the night to get a cigarette, so he's just 
an indulgent, you know, uh, person immersed in his uh, in his uh, in his desires. He, he can't control his urges. It's not a positive trait. But if he doesn't go now, then he's just lazy. Right. So what does he do? He's stuck in a, in a dilemma. So you know what he did? Being a Muslim master that he was, he walked across town, didn't buy it, and went back. Right? Full control. Got it? That's someone who knows himself. Right? I, I can guarantee you that he was plagued with both of those traits. Being uh, someone who indulged in, 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 in his urges, had to control that, and that would be lazy. Right? He would also be lazy. So he had to fight both of them. So to fight them, he went across town. How many, uh, it's just like, think about that for a second, okay? Imagine the new iPhone you've been waiting for for forever came out. And today's the day. And you say, you know what? I'm going to go to the store and I'm not going to buy it. I'm going to wait a day. I'm going to wait a week. Right? That's, that's a person who's able to control themselves. Now imagine such a person has an opportunity to get angry, legitimate anger, they'll be able to control it, hopefully, right? Hopefully, because they're, they're training. What you're doing is you're training your muscle that you use it when you need it. You're training that muscle, right? And if you don't, str if you don't strengthen that muscle, if you, don't y if you don't practice exercising that muscle, then you're just like it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't, you don't have full control over it. I've had this numerous numerous times, uh, particularly because I love technology. I really do like technology. And um, <coughs> when my new phone came in the mail, I was so excited. I really was excited. And my son was even more excited. He was so excited. And he saw the box sitting on my desk. And he says, what's this? I said, this is my, my phone came. He says, can I open it? I said, I'm not touching it. It was just, this is before Pesach. I said, I'm not touching it till after Pesach. I'm not touching it till after Pesach. That was another, it was like eight, ten days. Right? I'm not touching it till after Pesach. He's like, that's crazy. Why would you do that? I'm like, because I'm in control. Just because. And I said, if you want, you can touch it. I'm not touching it. I'm not, you know. And he, of course, he, he left it. And, you know, he left it there. But it was, it was uh, for me, just a, you know what? At first, we think it's like, oh, I, I got I to gotta have this, right? You know what? I'm in control. Just, just to bring yourself to the, to the realization that I, I'm not addicted to it. I'm not attached to it. I can live without it. Everything will be fine if I wait just another 10 days. So that was, that's, that's, um, I try to do that with a lot of things. When, when, when something exciting that I'm, I'm anticipating, so I'll, I'll try to just hold off. Let's hold off a day or two or a week or more. And suddenly it's not, not, it's not, it's not that exciting at the end of the day. It's like we, but you know. We get excited about things either because of the hype of, uh, you know, of the, the media of what, you know, what it's, how it's sold, how it's packaged. And we get we clothes, right? We go shopping. We see something. You ask a friend, oh, would you get this? Oh, we got this here. I got this there. I got to get this. I got to get those shoes. I got to wear those shoes. It's okay. You can relax. Take it easy. Nothing's going to happen. I'm in control. 
I'm in control again. The, the, I have to repeat this again. The purpose of being in control is so at that when the unexpected arises, you have control over your reaction. So when there's shocking news, you're like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, all chaos. No, it's okay. You're contained. You don't react out of just emotion. You react in full control. And that's what we're trying to do. That's what we're trying to accomplish. Um, one of the great uh, Musa masters of the previous generation was Reb Chaim Shmulevitz. Chaim Shmulevitz was the head of the Mir Yeshiva in Jerusalem. But he was originally a student of Reb Yeruchim Lovavitz, my grandfather's teacher in Poland, in Mir, in the, in, the, in the Mir in Poland. And he once went swimming with his, with his Rebbe, Reb Yeruchim. He said he learned more by how he swam than from all of his lectures, just the self-control, the, the modesty, the way in which he acted was, he said he learned more from that experience than all of the lectures that he, that he experienced. Right? There's, there's something to seeing someone who's in, in full control. I want to share with you uh, in Pirkei Avot, Ethics of Our Fathers, Chapter 4, Mishnah 5, the following Mishnah. It says, Rabbi Shmuel says, one who studies Torah in order to teach is given the means to study and to teach. The one who studies in order to practice is given the means to study, teach, observe, and practice. The commentary says as follows. Rabbeinu Yonah says, this means to say that when one learns for the purpose of seeking the truth, then his desire becomes to toil for even years upon years to acquire one small deed or trait according to its truth. Such is the way of a person who learns for the sake of doing. Okay, so let's let read this in. Then his desire becomes to toil for even years upon years to acquire even one small trait. Okay, imagine this. Imagine that we can study one trait, you know, my great-great-my grandfather, my grandmother's father, was also a Muslim master. And he worked on a single trait for two years, we mentioned this, to greet every person in every situation with a smile. Right, now imagine every situation to greet every person with a smile. That means there's no grumpy day, there's no sad day, there's no angry day. There is every single interaction you have with another person to greet them with a countenance, with a smile, with a delightful joy. They're right. <laughs> it could be. Sometimes you're like, are they really here? Right. No, but genuinely. Now, I'll give you a little bit, a little bit of understanding. He worked on this for two years. Two years he worked on this single one trait to master this trait. That means... I can bet for the first few months he was challenged. And by the way, if you were are to take, and when you will do this, hopefully in the coming years, uh, through the study of Musser, 
people start talking about a trait and suddenly you'll see this trait pops up all over. Do you ever see like a, a certain character, a certain name that you hear about and suddenly you see everything is about, you know, you see that popping up. You'll have that, if it's a, the trait of, of, of happiness, suddenly you'll start seeing all of these challenges to being happy all the time. And how happiness is not, it, it, you'll, you'll see that suddenly it becomes a struggle now. And that's great. It's a good thing. It means you're in the game now. Now you're now you're in the train in, in spring training, right? And then becomes the the, the 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 season, and you'll have pitch after pitch to hit with when it comes to the to the to the challenge of happiness. And then you'll have the postseason; it gets more difficult. And then you have a seven nothing shutout, right? In, in the postseason game, really against the Yankees, we have to lose like that. But either way, right? But that's the challenge of life. The challenge of life is that. We, we're going to be faced with, a, with a, 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 a goal that we want to accomplish, and the Yetzirah will throw us that perfect curveball. We're not going to be ready for it. And so we'll be like, you know what? He's pretty clever. He's got me good on this, right? And take it as a challenge. Don't give up. That's the challenge of life. That's the real living. It's like the red pill, the blue pill. Everyone familiar with the Matrix, right? You're not familiar? So basically, uh, the 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 prophet is telling him you can either take the blue pill you can take the red pill one you live in oblivion you'll never have to worry about anything again right you'll just live like the rest of the world lives or i'll show you the challenges of life i'll show you how to overcome them i'll show you how to become a better person right that's the the very gist of it and we all have that choice we can just say you know what i'm never going to come to a muster class again and nothing will ever bother me again either right i'll be angry who cares right who cares right and i'll just move on with it or i can say you know what i want to elevate myself and become a better person become an improved person where i'm elevated i'm not the idea is not elevated above others but as a, as a person i'm i'm more of a human i'm connecting more with my traits my character is more enhanced through these through these these challenges we all will be thrown curveballs and i can guarantee you you know we know of the chafetz chaim the chafetz chaim passed away in 1934 he brought to our attention lashon hara slander not to speak negatively about other people not to speak it's it's, it's he has two books on it at least and those books are the really the 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 bible of everything you need to know about not speaking negatively about other people. It's unbelievable. I'll just tell you as a side note, the Chavetz Chaim, um, in his book, initially wrote that you can say Lashon Hara about yourself. About yourself, you, you know, to, to keep yourself humble, you can say something negative about yourself. And later on, he changed, the, changed it. The following story happened. He was once traveling, and he would travel from, he was an older man, and... He would travel from city to city selling his books. And that's, that's how he, he got his livelihood. And of course, he was known as, as the Chavetz Chaim. was like a legend. And he, so one time he was on a train. And uh, there was an individual on the train who didn't know who he was. The person, of course, heard of the Chavetz Chaim. It's like he heard of the, the, you know, was the greatest uh, Jewish uh, scholar of that generation. Of course he heard of him. But he was such a simple man. He was traveling on the on the train alone, and he's in this in this uh, um, how do you call it? Those those little uh, the rooms, the what the compartment. Thank you, travel agent. Anybody needs a travel agent right here? Um, so 
so he was in his compartment with this other Jewish individual, and he opens up the window, and the man slams it shut. He says, don't you know it's cold? What's wrong with you? In any event, so eventually the guy, he tries to calm the individual down. They get into this conversation. He says, where are you heading to? He says, I'm heading to this and this town. So the man says to the Chavetz Chaim, he says, oh, the Chavetz Chaim is coming. He didn't know he's talking to the Chavetz Chaim. So the Chavetz Chaim says, ah, Chavetz Chaim, come on. Who's the Chavetz Chaim already? Right? So the man stands up and gives the man a, a slap, saying, how dare you talk like that about the Chavetz Chaim? Right? How dare you? He had no idea that he was actually talking to the Chavetz Chaim. They get to the to the, their final final the, you know the 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 next stop is you know this in this town, and the the man gets up, and he goes out one door, and the Chavetz Chaim gets up and goes out the other door, and the man as he walks out of the train, he notices there's oh, a huge group of people there, waiting, and. He says, what's, what's going on? Wh- why is everyone here? Like, you know, why is everyone here at the train? Uh, you know, they said, what are you talking about? The Chafetz Chaim just, is just arriving. He's like, and he can imagine, <laughs> he realizes what he did. It's like, what, what did I do? Right? And the next day, the Chafetz Chaim gets word that there's an individual who's completely broken. He's like, like beside himself, and he, he, can't, he can't even to see the Chavetz Chaim and it was the individual that was on the train with him so the Chavetz Chaim sent a message to him please tell him I must meet with him I must meet with him so the individual comes and he's wailing and he's crying he's like he, this guy you imagine what he did it's like you know and Chavetz Chaim says to him no 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 he says, what are you crying he stands up for him Chavetz Chaim stands up for him and he says thank you thank you you taught me that I was wrong in what I wrote, that you're allowed to say Lashon Hara about yourself. He says, thank you, thank you. What can I pay you for, for teaching me? Obviously, the Chavetz Chaim was, was trying to comfort the individual, right? But in, in so doing, also really conveying this important message that um, this person was really teaching him something, something very, very important. And it, it's, it's a... Uh, so either way, about the Chavetz Chaim, What was I going to say about the Chavetz Chaim? I don't remember. Either way, it's a great story. So, well, it was a great story, right? So, I want I want to share with you. I want to share with you one other, one other, uh, so an amazing story I heard on Yom Kippur from Rabbi Moskowitz, the Rabbi of uh, Meyerland Minion. A really a phenomenal story. So, the the old Belzer Bab of a Rabbi, right? Bab is one of the Hasidic many one of the probably over a thousand Hasidic dynasties. Now you have to understand, I'll just do a little bit of history here. Every little shtetl, every little town in Europe, right, had a spiritual leader. And many of whom the only way for them to get all of their 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 congregants, all the people, all the Jewish people in their village to get inspired is they used Hasidic uh, uh, style teachings to, to really inspire them and they became the rebbies right and you have many many different rebbies I, I can i can list off right here 50 different hasidic dynasties now we we know of a few you know we've heard uh, you know th- probably through news or current events or seeing things in the jewish community we've heard of different hasidic dynasties but there are thousands it's unbelievable how many different hasidic dynasties either way Babav is one of the big ones hey you're talking about tens of thousands of hasidic followers so um, 
the when right after the Holocaust, many of those dynasties were 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 obliterated. The Baba Rebbe came to New York, and he didn't even have a minion of his uh, own followers. And uh, he came. He lost his his wife was murdered. His children, except for one son, Reb Naftolke. And his son was uh, who later on became the the Baba Rebbe as well, after his father passed away. But it was Friday evening, and they needed a minion. They had nine men, and they needed one more one more person for the minion. So the Rebbe tells his son, Naftolke, go outside and find another Jew. So he goes outside, and he's asking, he, see, he sees someone, he looks like a Jew. He says, so y- you're a Jew? He says, yeah. He says, can you join us for a minion? He says, I'm done with minion. I'm done. And obviously he experienced the Holocaust. He was, he was upset at what, what he experienced, and he was like, didn't want to hear of minion. He's, he's begging him, please, we need your, you're our tenth man. He says, fine, one condition. I'm going in there, and I'm the chazan. I lead the services. He said, sure. Comes inside. He tells his father. The father says, no problem. Bring him. He's the tenth man. He'll be the chazan. Great. Leads the services. After services, they thank him. What's your name? Chaim. Chaim the chazan. Great. He leaves. The next week, he shows up again. Goes straight for the podium and starts leading the services. And this starts happening several weeks. It's happening. Then one week, he doesn't show up. doesn't show up anymore. So the, uh, the Rebbe tells his son, he says, go ahead and find him. He's there. Go ahead and find him. He's looking all around, and he sees in a park, one of the p- local parks, he sees this Chaim the Chazan is smoking a cigarette, something which is obviously prohibited on Shabbat. He's smoking a cigarette. So he goes to his father. He says, I just saw, I saw him in the park. And he's smoking a cigarette. I, I, I can't. He says, that's not him. That's not him. Okay. You know, someone else came. They had a minion. And they haven't seen Chaim the Chazan. 30 years later, there was a major celebration in the Bab of Dynasty. And now they have tens of thousands of Hasidim. They have a monster building in Brooklyn and Borough Park, right? They're no longer on the Upper West Side where they were originally. And at this, uh, at this uh, festivity, people coming up to the Rebbe and saying Shalom Aleichem and giving him a hand and so on and so forth. One person walks over. He looks just like the, r- the, like the other followers. He has the big strimal. He has the long coat. He has the long beard, the payas, the whole thing, just like the rest of the Hasidic people. And he comes over to the Rebbe, he says, Mazel Tov, do you remember me? And the Rebbe looks at him. He says, Chaim the Chazan? He says, that's right. So the Rebbe pulls his son. He says, Naftalka, what did I tell you? Did I tell you it wasn't him? He says, yeah. He says, do you know who was smoking? It was the Germans who were smoking. It was the Hitler that was smoking. Many times we can see people doing things that we seem to to think, how can you do such a terrible thing? You know what? What the Baba Rebbe taught us, no 
human being wants to do bad things. It's an experience. It's something that happened to them that's causing them to do the bad thing that they're, they're doing, the bad action that they're doing. That is not them. Many times we could be easy to judging someone. They get angry. They're impatient. They are jealous. It's not them. We have to learn to judge every single person we meet favorably. Using our, our positive traits, using our abilities that are given to us to not cast judgment on other people. People do things that could seem terrible. Do we know what their circumstances are? Do we know what their background is? Even if we know them because they grew up in our same home, do we know, do we know everything? There's a whole life that we may not know about. And it's, it's such, an, such an important perspective to have. So Musser, just as a summary of the introduction, next week we'll already start with traits. And we'll take a survey after we turn off the recording. We'll take a survey what traits everyone wants to start focusing on. Um, I like to deal with the positive traits, if that's possible. So hopefully we'll start with that, but we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Musser gives the ability to correct our traits. Musser helps affect change on those traits and helps refine our character and in return makes us a person of change. What we're trying to become is a different person. I'm a changed person. I'm not the same person anymore. That's really what we're trying to establish here. I was, you may have known me as this Arya Wolby, but I'm now hopefully a different Arya Wolby because I've worked on myself to change, to improve myself. Oh, that's the person who's so stingy. I know them. No, 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 they're a different person. That's the person who's so impatient. No, 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 no. I'm working on myself to change. That's what we're trying to accomplish. In the broader picture, every interaction we have influences us in one way or another. Every interaction we have influences us. Musser helps us understand the challenges that come our way so we can channel them to affect positive change. Right, the idea here is, you know, e e everything we see, the Baal Shem Tov teaches us, the master of, of, Hasidic, of the Hasidic movement, the, the founder of the Hasidic movement, he says, everything you see is a mirror. Everything you see. You see you're, you're, in, you're, in, uh, you're in, uh, in Walmart and you see someone yelling at their child. Guess what? It's a mirror. That's the way you look. It's there is an opportunity for you to learn about yourself. You see someone doing something, you're like, huh, how could they do such a thing? Right? Guess what? You're looking at a mirror of yourself. It's a wake-up call. It should be a wake-up call. All right, I'll give you I'll give you another example, another another thing which is a little frightening. How many times do we open up the radio or the television in the morning, the news, and we see overnight there was a murder. There was a uh, there was a, another assault. There was a, some some other story that happened in the news, and you think that like one second we just learned in the muster class that everything is a mirror. Well, what's going on? I didn't kill anyone. I didn't assault anyone. Why why am I why am I seeing this? Well, perhaps today, human value has been diminished. It's expressed in many different ways. But maybe we don't value people prop properly. Maybe I'm willing to embarrass someone 
if it's to protect my own dignity. Maybe someone else's value isn't enough to me. There's, there's a lot we can, we, can, we can identify if we start thinking about ourselves. Maybe that's the reason we're seeing these things. I'm not, I'm not suggesting anything, but perhaps, perhaps it's just for us to learn, you know what, there's different types of murder. There's murder, yes, someone takes a gun and shoots, someone takes a knife and stabs. There's the many different ways of murder. Maybe with my words I can murder someone. We see, we see our sages tell us, you embarrass someone in public, right? It's like killing them. Maybe I'm not, I'm not careful enough with the dignity, with the respect of another person. So these are all things that we can take and, you know what? What does it really mean? And start analyzing it. Maybe this is our first curveball that's being thrown our way. It's the first challenge that's coming our way. So I'm, I'm really excited for this journey. I look forward to, to, to studying together learning these traits, understanding them, and then learning how to incorporate them into our lives, uh, making ourselves better people, um, hopefully improving the way we are as to our for ourselves, for our community, for the world, and of course with our relationship with the Almighty. Because at the end of the day, everything we learn is our reflection of the Almighty. It's, it's understanding how the Almighty is perfect in his traits and we're not. We're trying to become perfect. We're trying to emulate God, which is why, again, that's why we're called Adam. Adam comes from the word Adama, from earth. We have to teach her. We have to, we have to, we have to plow. We have to sow. We have to, we have to do all that's necessary for something to grow. But it's also from the word Adame, which means to emulate, to be godlike. And that's what we're trying to. We are trying to, you know, nurture positive traits within ourselves and we're also trying to emulate god so god should bless us all that this journey should be an enjoyable fun uplifting and life-changing journey and this is the conclusion of today's class and the conclusion of the introduction and hopefully next week we're going to start focusing already on specific traits uh, maybe we'll do a special class on sukkot on the holiday of sukkot understanding it uh, but either way, I look forward to seeing everyone Wednesday in my sukkah. If you need to know the information, it's on our website. This part you'll cut off already. Um, thank you. Um, but uh, on our website, torchweb.org, um, we have all of our information. It's the shake in the shack, right? We're going to have all these different shakes, and uh, we're going to have everyone familiar with nectar. So we're trying to secure them to cater the event, uh, all their, you know, the different, uh, uh, what do you call those? Uh the juices or whatever they have the uh the uh smoothies and things like that either way looking forward to seeing everyone and next week we will have class next week is a very special week just so you know it's Hoshana Rabbah which is the last day of Sukkot our sages tell us that Rosh Hashanah is the day of judgment Yom Kippur is the day of atonement which is the last day we can change what's on that judgment but it doesn't get dropped in the mail so to speak till Hoshana Rabbah that's the day we can just say, you know what, uh, let's, let's, we can change it. So today I'm going to be up the whole night learning and coming here to teach the class. It's a day of we're trying to like change all judgment and change the whole, the whole decree. Any decree that's been uh, written perhaps negatively in heaven can be uh, changed. And we're looking forward to that day to be a very, very special day of inspiration. So I look forward to seeing everyone there. 